0: What's up everybody? This week we take a look at a television event which became a masterpiece. MTV Unplugged in New York by Nirvana. That and a whole lot more is to come because maybe I can't see you every night. Welcome to the show. You know, normally I try and excuse uh, the little bad jokes I come up but it, it was very, very hard to come up with a cheesy because maybe joke this week, considering the subject matter. But um, I did my best. Hey, guys, how you doing? Hope everyone is doing well on this Thanksgiving week. Um, yeah, um, I have no idea what Thanksgiving is, but we'll get into that in a minute. As I'm joined once again by the wonderful Greg Gregory. Greg, how are you, bro?
1: Hey, good, good. Good,
0: good to have you have on, I man. It's been a little while, and yeah. it's, it's, uh, it is its is actually good to have a familiar voice on. Uh Again, love the conversation with uh, Luke and Dex in the last couple of weeks, but you know it's good to get back to familiarity at some point as well. Yeah. Um. So what? This is going to be a hard opening se- opening section, so I apologize for anybody who who I bore. But um, I literally recorded the last episode on Thursday last week. Today is Tuesday of the next week, and we just got again, we've got the Turkey Day coming up. What is Thanksgiving? It's people have tried to tell me, tried to explain to me all these years. What 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 is the significance of taking two days off work to eat Christmas food? Um,
1: <laughs> I mean, I think I think the original um, meaning of it's been kind of perturbed and sort of twisted over the years. Um, but what it, what it, what it ultimately means is just taking time for one another for people <laughs> you care about. You um you you. The idea is that you sit around and you eat and you talk and you appreciate the things that you have in life because some of the, not not all of them are ironclad, you no. know. And there's life's going to change on you. you oh know?
0: yes. <laughs> so it's just
1: that. good sometimes to sit back and just reflect on what you have and appreciate, you know, your loved ones and just your place in life. You know.
0: I had um, uh, last Sunday uh, we did uh, Thanksgiving at uh, some of Sarah's family. And it was the most awkward three hours of my life because I had to pretend to like the Dallas Cowboys. Oh no! <laughs> Especially when they won with the final kick. Yeah. And in a way, I was glad that happened because I've been there when the Cowboys have lost. Man, uh, on that on that day, they spend the whole day just moping around. You know, just we take spot way too seriously out there. Um, and I and in saying that, you know, uh, I want to wish everybody who's listening to this, for what it's worth, happy Thanksgiving. Again, I'm I'm still. Not, not clueless, but I mean, it's still, you know, like, like for example, I, I was uh, get, getting a doctor appointment for this week, and I thought it was Thursday, and Sarah was like, no, it's Thanksgiving. Well, being British, Thanksgiving doesn't come on my mental radar right, until, right. until like, you know, I've got that day off in the middle of the week, you know?
1: Yeah, no, last last Thursday of every November, Thanksgiving will be.
0: And then last Friday of every November... You get to sp- you get to save twenty five percent off something you could have saved thirty percent off in July. Yeah, and see
1: that <laughs> and see that's that goes back to the original point of like the whole meaning of Thanksgiving has kind of been perturbed or bastardized in some ways. Because yeah. the whole idea is you sit down, you're thankful and grateful, and then the next day you you know Literally
0: it, shank people for well, a yeah. TV. I
1: mean I know not everybody's doing that, but yeah, there's some people that yeah, less than twenty four hours from being thankful here we are you
0: know I remember the first time I went Black Friday shopping went to Walmart of all places right and they let people in the store but they had their Black Friday deals in like not not crates but they were on pallets and wrapped up in like you know super industrial saran wrap right yeah yeah and basically we had to wait there and as soon as they cut them open that's when Black Friday began right so my, uh, the boy was about two maybe three, and we were buying him Lego sets, the, the, the you know, little Lego sets, You can't the ones you can't choke on. And I remember as soon as the, the dude stuck that Stanley knife in the plastic, before he even had a chance to cut it, I was pushed on top of the pallet. Yeah. <laughs> just in this surge, it was like, you know, the, the people going for the lifeboats in the Titanic. You know. <laughs> just, of-
1: it was horrible. I haven't participated in a Black Friday in a long time, um, but the last, the last one that I remember was when i was a kid it was actually uh it was when the tickle me elmo thing oh god yeah it was okay okay, so this was a tickle me elmo black friday oh yeah dude, it was (laughs) there was decapitation like i mean it was it was brutal Oh man! So yeah, I kind of I, I i tend to stick to like Cyber Monday. Yeah, or, just do it online. Yeah, uh, yeah, new egg and uh, Amazon and a lot of places. I like the good deals. So
0: now I understand why they do it in this country, right? Because technically, the day after Thanksgiving, it's a Friday. You, you, people still get a day off of work, right? It's considered a part of the holiday. Right. I have no idea why this Black Friday stuff has taken off in the UK, because Thursday is just going to be Thursday to everybody in the UK. Right. They, they they don't know, but then all of a sudden on Friday everybody's gonna take the day off and try and get some cheap TVs.
1: Well, because people, because the people know it that it'll work.
0: I guess the I guess yeah, I guess
1: uh, it is probably because they're doing it right. No matter how much people
0: resist, we are becoming a globalized world.
1: In in a certain respect, but I mean, you know, marketing is marketing. I mean, yeah. we, we both work in marketing. We know that. I mean, yeah, that's true. So it, I mean, you know, I've banned Christmas music
0: in my house right now.
1: Yeah, they they actually read an article the other day that said if you listen to Christmas music before December, you're uh you're a psychopath.
0: Oh great! So we've been working with psychopaths <laughs> for the last few years.
1: I don't I don't know whether that's based on science yeah. or pseudoscience, whatever. But it was it yeah, just the um just the sentiment of it I thought was pretty hilarious.
0: Well, it's just like a vaccinations don't work by Doctor P. Olio. Um- <laughs> Uh so man anything going on in the uh, I know you you recently had the similar fate of work than I than I had. Yeah. Uh being yeah. kicked out of the uh of the building, moving to much more comfier confines. I was gonna say.
1: say I wouldn't call it kicked out, man. i nice. I feel like I'm in the lap of luxury, man, being that close to my, my cats and my bed and in you know, my refrigerator and stuff. So Naps at lunchtime. Yeah, I haven't I haven't actually done that yet. Oh it's glorious, but, uh, man. But <laughs> No, I, I definitely will be taking advantage of that as soon as possible.
0: And guys, if you do work from home, I highly recommend that you do, and I highly recommend you you work from home in an adjacent building. That way, you're not bothered every two minutes with a honeydew list. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thankfully I've, Sarah's not done that yet.
1: Though. I've got a I've got a separate office with uh with a with a door I can shut, and uh it's you know, like I've only got the the wife and the one kid, so house is empty all day. So Sweet. I've got I've got no issues there. So. But you bet, yeah, your office is definitely a ways away from the house, so that's good.
0: It's, it's. I can actually hear people come in. <laughs> it's <laughs> beautiful, so I know, yeah. So, guys, with that in mind, uh, if you are on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, look at Because Maybe Pod. If you are on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, yes, we are on Spotify, finally, search Because Maybe Podcast, and I'll get with Greg, and we're going to talk more about his stuff at the end of the show. But in the meantime, we are going to look at a combination concert and album. Um, and the reason I say say it like this, is which I'll explain more in depth, the album came as a result of tragedy, but the concert was always going to happen anyway. Right. So, with that in mind, let's look at MTV Unplugged in New York, featuring Nirvana. <laughs>
1: View corner.
0: Alright guys, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Nirvana MTV Unplugged in New York. Um, the, I, I mentioned this just before we uh, we broke, but uh, this is basically a concert that became, well not even a concert, it was a TV performance that basically became legendary due to its content and circumstance. It's fair to say that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was an unusual unplugged in New York as compared to some of the other ones that already happened.
0: I think it set the template for future unplugged in New York because I mean, you know, they, they were right. They did playing the greatest hits sets for for Nirvana style acoustically just wasn't going to work. But at the same time, they had to pull pull something out, you know. Yeah, and I think after that, a lot of bands started to, who did do unplugged either dramatically changed their sound to do the unplugged or went the nirvana route and did
1: honored their roots basically yeah you know um, essentially what he did with like lead belly and the meat puppets and
0: oh definitely definitely like that yeah and it was just it was such a it was such a great performance and it took on extra significance sadly a couple months later um right but i don't uh, we'll, we'll get to this here in a little bit but i honestly don't think that if kurt had died they would have released that as an album and I very rarely think that MTV would have repeated it, you know, re- rerun it, because they w- they weren't happy at the at, at the performance. They wanted "Smells Like Teen Spirit." They wanted "Lithium." They wanted "Heart They wanted everything that Nirvana, was famous for, done acoustically.
1: It was it, that, that was a mistake, though. I mean, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" doesn't work acoustically.
0: No, not at all.
1: Like, and well, and some of that um, some of that has to do song selection. Also, has to do like with. Um, a little bit of psychological battle that the band was facing. Yeah, and I, and I think we're going to touch on that a little bit more later. But um. it just it,
0: it it's 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 kind of I mean, it's going to be awkward to get started because you know again it's going to be tied in a lot with um you know with the aftermath and, and, and Kurt's suicide. But at the end of the day, the performance itself, taking away this the 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 extra significance that was added afterwards uh the performance itself was a masterpiece whether you, whichever way you look at it um so so for those techno techno folks who are listening it was basically recorded on um october the 18th 1993 uh 25, 25 years ago
1: years ago, a couple of days ago. yeah a couple of days ago yeah i uh, actually was on the road back from my brother's wedding in new orleans and listened to that entire album just because it was that day, yeah, it was that exact day actually?
0: Um, it was recorded in Sony Studios in New York, and about a thousand people were were there. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I looked, I looked, and looked, and looked. It was a big of, crowd. It was, yeah, it was a decent sized crowd, especially for a studio show, and it aired on the uh, MTV network in the in the US. Um, and then it became an album a year later, uh, released in November first, nineteen ninety four. Hit number one worldwide. Uh, sold five million copies, and. You know,
1: produced by Scott Litt, who did uh, *In Utero*, yeah, as well. Yeah.
0: Um, and it's just again, it's 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 a hard one to get started to talk about because there's a lot of information crammed in
1: into this. It's a lot to unpack.
0: I mean, okay, <sighs> *Unplugged* was MTV's flagship music show at the time.
1: Yeah, there was nothing nothing like it at the time. Yeah,
0: I mean, they they played concerts and everything like that, but *Unplugged* was like. I think it was Kurt Cobain said when Weird Al covers your songs you know you've made it right but in, in all seriousness if you ended up on Unplugged you were considered one of the heavyweights of music the,
1: the elite yeah only, yeah only the elite yeah
0: and you know they were on tour with the Meat Puppets yeah and MTV approached them they hammered out a deal and you know I mean when you look at the success before that you had uh, the Claton Unplugged which was at the time considered the one that you had to beat the gold yeah
1: the gold standard if you will excuse it, me <laughs>
0: yeah it was it was like you know and and that was a good show too you know yeah, considering. No,
1: it's, it's eric clapton man come on legend uh, he
0: is i I'm,
1: like I'm, Clapton's music look i'm not a fan of his music per se but i respect him he's, as an artist he's a great musician player. and he's a he's a good he's a good actual he can play his butt off yeah oh
0: yeah he's a good actual artist as well he's a good he's a dang good painter um i guess you know it's, it's hard to look past some of his politics and that's another story for another day. But right. it's not left v. right. It's just, you know, he's come out in support of certain people who have white supremacist views. And it's really, really hard to take that seriously when you say all that. And then the next thing you do is you play, i oh, shot the sheriff.
1: Right. You yeah. know, so. Understandable.
0: um but But, uh, you know, not just that, the band and MTV didn't get along.
1: Yeah, they had two completely different vision, uh, visions. Because, um, I mean, and, and honestly, this was a perpetual battle with Kurt once they signed with the mainstream label. Um, you know, the label wanted to, to market them heavily, make them more visible, make them more corporate, if you will.
0: Yeah, make and, the studio more
1: money. Yeah, and, and, you know, the bottom line, I mean, that's a smart thing to do. I mean, just look at artists like Katy Perry and yeah. Taylor Swift. I mean, they're all, you know, heavily stylized and produced and managed and you know every place they go and everything they wear is thought out to the T they wanted to do those types of things with them not only with their image but with their music and they they said no I mean they didn't sign with a couple of labels before they signed with Geffen because of that exact same thing
0: they wanted more creative control
1: right but then when the money started rolling in because what happened is Nirvana took a bad deal on um, Nevermind yeah they got everything up front. Oh. If they had taken everything on points on the back end, like most bands are doing, it had been a lot more. However, the, you know, they're still getting residuals and stuff off that, but it was this whole thing like creative control versus marketability. Uh, Kurt wanted to be himself. And, you know, they were asking a lot of these guys who were notorious for smashing their instruments and being too high or too drunk to perform. Kurt having to miss days, you know, concerts because he blew out his voice or he was relapsing off of heroin or you know these are these are the bad boys of rock and roll yeah you know kurt had already od'd in rome there's that whole thing earlier that year you know so a lot of drama a lot of stuff going on this band and so i think in a lot of ways the label too was trying to kind of like tighten them up a little bit you know what i mean like because they knew they were volatile
0: well he, he, here's a question i have to ask that right and this is not intended to be disrespectful to nirvana at all or you know to counteract anything that th- they accomplished or any of the personal demons that any member of the band had right but surely nirvana would have you know, not not nirvana necessarily but surely the label would have known i mean okay that rock stars can't be trusted to their own devices, but if you leave them be, they'll produce better music.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, look, and I think ultimately that's what happened.
0: I mean, the example was in the seventies with uh, John Lennon. He he did a, like a, a bunch of recordings with Keith Moon. I mean, you put those two together, they knew something bad was gonna, you know, personally was gonna happen. But they just let him get on with it and just wrote a check afterwards, you know? Yeah. And I think that was one of the reasons why Britpop took off in the UK around about this time, as we mentioned in the Britpop episodes, was because everybody who who came into the scene didn't play the game. They didn't, you know, they didn't cut down to the record labels and everything like that. And I guess it was harder to do over here because small-time labels are always, you know, gobbled up by the big-time labels. And... You know, once
1: they get good, yeah, good stuff. And that was exactly what happened with uh, A&R and Geffen. Yeah. You know, on the back of every Nirvana album, there is a Sub Pop AR logo on every single album. It's a Sub Pop is still benefiting off of all the points. That nirvana up. Yeah.
0: And see, that's, that's the other thing, too. It's, you know, they, I was about to say this. It's not necessarily Nirvana didn't want to become stars or anything like that. You know, they just wanted to be the, the. From from my understanding, from my readings, they wanted to be the best that they could be.
1: But they wanted to do it their way. Exactly. They weren't going to let anybody produce them, or I mean, they barely let Butch and uh, Scott, the two uh, other other guys, um, produce the album. You know, they had to. They you know they had to be very careful the way they did that sort of thing. They had to like sort of. Trick Kurt into thinking it was his idea.
0: Yeah, and and that's a that's you know that's that's some people would say that would that would be ego in a lot of people, but I don't, I don't think it was with necessarily with Nirvana.
1: He's had a spec- he had, Kurt had a very specific vision. He knew he knew what he wanted it to do and what he wanted things to sound like. So
0: it's. Kind of like Tom, Tom York and Radiohead, and and I, I know what a lot of people are thinking right now, how the heck can you compare Radiohead to Nirvana, but I think the only reason we don't hear stories about Tom York is because, you know, he gets his own way, and he gets it without having a fight. Right. And I think if, if you know, if, if again, Tragedy Hadn't Struck Kurt, I think maybe the fourth Nirvana album or the fifth-
1: Some if, balance would have restored somehow.
0: Yeah, and, and they'd, have, they'd have pulled out of the funk and- kind of leveled out and kurt would have done some of his better work
1: what if yeah I, I think about that all the time how different the world would be if kurt hadn't died there would it, it, the world would be a totally different place uh mainly because we wouldn't have the foo fighters probably probably maybe we would but i don't think it would have been the same
0: and you, you know i think we touched on this a, a couple of weeks ago you yeah. know, maybe the foo fighters would have come about and you know kurt played for them or something like that because as a lead guitarist you're still in the spotlight but you're not in the spotlight you know it's yeah. always on the singer regardless of who it is
1: yeah kurt always wanted to be the guitar player he just kind of ended up being the singer in a lot of cases
0: he like, just wanted to be the guy who stands on right of the stage and
1: yeah he crowd, was okay you know? with just playing guitar like he tried out he tried out for the melvins as a guitar player only yes and uh he it did not go well but Yeah, he was okay with that. He just kind of did it by default, I guess you could say.
0: Well, see, here's the thing, though. MTV was... I know nowadays MTV is full of goofy reality TV shows and, you know, very little music, even though the M stands for music. Right. You know, but um, they took all their music stuff seriously back then. And if they told you that you were going to be going on stage with uh, (laughs) Phil Collins and Rod Stewart, and you're going to be doing a, a... uh, come as you are with those guys you'd have to do it and that's one of that's, i guess one of yeah. the arguments is that mtv wanted like eddie vedder
1: and Tori amos they wanted to be like a, who, a venerable who's who of the grunge era if you will
0: and kurt said no we're bringing in the meat puppets and i'll be completely honest the only three meat puppet songs i've ever heard were the three on this album Right. I I I didn't know who they were. I still don't know who they are. That's not that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I just you know was never interested in them.
1: And, the, and but that, that that's that's Kurt for you right there. Kurt was always trying to bring to this use his fame to bring bands that he liked to the spotlight.
0: And the thing is the the, the bit of i funny about it right. MTV considered consider it disrespectful at the time, but yet a few years later they were doing videos for uh, Eminem and uh, D12 well D12 were Eminem's buddies too and they were bringing them full you know what i mean it's like right. the attitude shifted a little bit after they saw the success of the show and realized that if we as as you said um what Butch Vig used to do and what uh, Scott Litt used to do. If they let the artists think it was their idea, right. they could get away with manipulating
1: sure. them. Sure. You know? and Studio trick, man. The psych- the psychology of it.
0: Yes, re- complete reverse psychology. Fine. You know, we'll, do. We'll, we'll sing with Rod Stewart, Mr. Poop de Pants. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> there,
1: there, was, there was another thing about it too, um, when, when they were, um, because I see the next bullet point is about, um, the, the rehearsals for the show. Um, yeah, that, that was weird. Cause like Dave Grohl kept the drummer, he just kept kind of ruining everything because he's he a very, very loud, very aggressive drummer. So when they brought his kid out and he's playing with sticks, he was like drowning everyone out. Cause like a, a drummer can tap their sticks and be louder than a cello can play yeah. at full volume. Especially so were, with
0: no amplification.
1: Right. So they were like, huh? Okay. So we got to figure this out. So they went, um, they went and got Dave like this little small drum kit, <laughs> like a little kid drum kit, practically, and uh, got him wow. some wire brushes, pulled his hair back, you know, just, <sighs> just had him, you know, they
0: smartened him, they smartened him up basically,
1: you know, sent sent him out to the van in the back probably for a safety meeting, you know, got him all chilled <laughs> out. So he, when Dave came out and he with that little kit and with the wire brushes for that last rehearsal, it was the vibe was there, like he was. He was he was in rhythm, but he was providing the right energy for it. Yeah, and that was one of the reasons that they almost didn't go acoustic at the last minute.
0: Because they almost
1: nearly went electric and just made a Nirvana concert.
0: Dang, see, I see that that one I didn't know because I know Dave Grohl is full of energy. I mean, you know, I love I a pint of what he's drinking. You know, right? And, yeah, he's he's out there. And even for the unplugged show, even for the actual show, he still had the energy though. And I think I think
1: he, he he killed it, yeah.
0: Like putting those brushes in his hand I think was probably the best thing that they could have done. Yeah. And I don't know the technical name of it and I apologize to any drummers listening. Um it's like the bamboo
1: sticks, the uh rods. Yeah, the ones where it's it's not one whole, it's like a bunch of dowels kind of like taped to, like affixed yeah, it's, together.
0: It's kind of like the drumming equivalent of a kendo stick.
1: Yeah, I've had yeah. a couple of those. There's like uh lightning rods, thunder rods, or like different sizes and thicknesses and stuff. Yeah and those are those are really I used to I used to give those to my son when he played my drum set.
0: And then they they produced a vastly different sound too. Um but I mean, you know, Cook Bing was like in a complete utter panic. for the whole rehearsal because I think from from what I read and I could be wrong, didn't they like re- they, they agreed to do the show and then only did like 2 days worth of rehearsals in the
1: 2 days leading up to the show. Yeah, they barely rehearsed and most of the rehearsals they did uh, as a live band. They they were they were nervous. They weren't used to playing acoustic instruments. You know, Dave was playing too fast, too loud.
0: Sit yeah, the they
1: had pressure from up above. Hey, man! Hey, guys! We really need to hear that Teen Spirit. Hey, guys! We really need to hear that Lithium. Come on, in bloom, guys! And I think the fans like, were even mm.
0: expecting it too in the building.
1: No, I I agree. I mean, me at the time, I was I was a new Nirvana fan. I was you know early you know like a preteen, but. When um they started coming up with these obscure covers, that was, I I was I was surprised by that. I was expecting to hear Lithium and, but I think they I think they did a really good blend of appropriate covers that fit the mood yeah. and and touched into their personal influences as well as stuff from both of or all three of their um well Bleach is not a major release wasn't then it is now in essence but. They did songs from every album. I think
0: that one-two punch of Come As You Are, uh, sorry, About a Girl and Come As You Are, I think was, I don't want to say bait and switch, because when people use it, they use it negatively, but it kind of was the whole, this is a, you know, for an acoustic track, it was a high energy opener. Then it was, you know, your your big song as the second track of the thing, the crowd are into it, and then all of a sudden, here's my accordion. Yeah. And it's like, Accordion? No, exactly. Ivana with an accordion? What yeah.
1: the... Yeah, Chris Novoselic, yeah. Um, and so... And then, just, and, then, and then a David Bowie cover.
0: And you can go wrong with Bowie, and that's where yeah. I think the Unplugged Illusion fell apart. Yeah. Because, you know, that is so electric.
1: <laughs> that, okay, I was about to say, that was, that was the one... There was this whole thing about Kurt wanting to have some, like, distortion pedals and, like, an amp setup because he was just... He, he couldn't yeah. do it. It's like a security blanket, yeah. if you will, but, and, um, he... Ended up going acoustic almost the entire uh, entire album or show or whatever, except for the lead part on "Man Who Sold the World." For that, he kicked it on. And I, Uh, and you know, a lot of people say that it's it's one of the covers that is better than the original. Um, I think they're both good in their own way, but I like I like the way they did it. I I like their take on it.
0: It's kind of it it was obviously raw um, because Bowie's version is is highly polished, but at the same time, it just
1: you know that that fits the mood. The, oh yeah, the bass line is the, I just love that. It's so it's so fun.
0: And the fact is, while you know it, we mentioned Clapton earlier, uh, you see Clapton playing, you know, these licks and everything like that, and you look at his face, and he's looking like bored. You know, no- Novoselic didn't even once turn his head to look at the at the at the guitar. Just he been. just just straight he, up straight he knows ahead. it. And I'm thinking to myself, two days of rehearsal, and he's like, you know... And this is the other thing, too. Two days of rehearsal, and they killed it. They killed every single song.
1: Despite all the pressure, all the uncertainty, all the maybes and minds. I'm not used to... um, Because, I don't know, I'm sure some of you out there play, but for you people that don't, aren't guitar players, um, playing an electric guitar full-time... And then suddenly switching to an acoustic guitar, yeah, it can be very detrimental on your hands and your uh, calluses. Um, so that that was probably the biggest thing, um, especially uh, on guitar. Not so much the bass because that, those kind of keep your calluses in check, and the string spacing's the same. But yeah, that had to have been hard in a lot of ways.
0: Kurt was using a penny too, wasn't he? A what? He uses a penny as a, as a pick. Oh, he used a penny as oh, a pick. Oh, I don't know
1: about and
0: that. And if he was, play, I've, I've played an acoustic guitar with a penny. I've played an electric guitar with a penny before. Yeah. You can play an electric guitar with a penny. Not a problem, because the strings are always going to be a little bit looser.
1: Yeah.
0: But you've tried playing an acoustic guitar with a penny? <laughs>
1: it's, it's, it's too, too, too brassy.
0: And, and not only that, it's like, you know, the immovable force meeting the the the, the irresistible force meeting the immovable uh, object, right. you know? You're just going to get a whole bunch of, whoa, 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 you know, I'm back. But um, they 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 handled it perfectly. The the, pre- the you know, I think the pressure.
1: They they kind of thrived under it. They yeah. rose to the occasion. Uh, it, the well, best- it's because they had you know three or four Hall of Fame musicians on that stage. I mean,
0: true. And I, mean, I think one of the reasons why, uh, and we'll go to that bit in the end. But I think the reason why. Where did you sleep last night? The whole release of everything. Was not just, you know, a lot of people interpreted it as as kind of as as Kurt being done with everything, but there was a large part of that as Kurt being done with that night. Yeah. It's just like, it's over, you know, and it was just. Again, I've, I use the word masterpiece, but, I mean, there's there's no other way to describe it, you know. It's um, just
1: really, really, really well done. The, the song selection, the um, the set list, um, the guest musicians. It uh, all fit. The versatility of Dave Grohl yeah. as well. He was, I think he played, like, three different instruments yeah. on that. Yeah, Novoselic played three different instruments, too. Yeah, um, you know, and you had, you brought in Lori Goldston, who did, um, uh, cello work on Nevermind, as well as um, uh, In Utero.
0: And you had the legendary Pat Smear.
1: Yeah, Pat Smear, man. He's a character, man. That guy's a card, big time.
0: I think when uh, The End of the World happens, Keith Richards is going to have some company with Pat Smear.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) You know, because Pat looks immortal. Yeah, he hasn't Ke-
1: aged a bit. Yeah, no, he,
0: but then, then again, I hate to say it like this, but Pat didn't exactly look young then either.
1: <laughs> yeah, know, he's one of those people that like as soon as he hits puberty, he looked forty, and he's just going to look forty forever. I literally knew a person in high school like that. Like she, she, <gasps> she literally, she was like seventeen. She looked forty five. Oh. We would literally give her money, be like, hey go to the store for us (laughs) and she would just go there and buy whatever (laughs) no no one would even yeah
0: oh poor mala um
1: (laughs) uh, you ever see strangers with candy no you gotta yeah if you ever get a chance if you see that um it's about a this chick who goes back to high school and she's like 45
0: Okay. I'll and her name it. is
1: Jerry Blank, and she's played by Amy Sedaris, and it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> uh, uh, Stephen Colbert's in it. He's the oh, nice. he's the teacher. Nice. Rob Corddry's in it as well. There's lots of cameos from SNL people and
0: and Daily Show people.
1: They were nobodies then. A lot of them. Yeah. So, but yeah, that um, yeah. So she was kind of our Jerry Blank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now I have to ask this because. Um, it sounds weird, right? This, I've got the set list in front of me of the album. Right. Right. But that wasn't the order in which they played the tracks of the night. No? No. Um, I don't think so. And and, and here's my reason. MTV in the performance in the UK, they did, uh, they switched Penny Royalty to track seven and shunted Polly and Dumb down. So they did The Man Who Sold the World, Dumb, Polly, Penny Royalty. Right. But on the album, it's Penny Royalty, Dumb Polly. And I don't know whether that was was done correctly, if that was, you know, bad editing on on the UK release of the- Or there
1: was a reason for it Yeah,
0: but um, Penny Royalty is probably- the the main three highlights of this album, uh, this concert, this show, uh, Where Did You Sleep Last Night, The Man Who Sold The World, and Penny Royalty. Those are the three- those- I don't want to say stand out because it was all fantastic, but- uh, the Man Who Sold the World became the iconic track of the album. Uh, Where Did You Sleep Lance night became the iconic moment of the album. Whereas Penny Royalty was the one decision I think MTV got right. Because they said they, they took the set listen after Feminine Ha and they said, okay, fine. You have to do one of these songs by yourself. You ha- You have to do this one song by yourself. Just one. That's all we
1: want. Well, maybe, maybe okay. That's fourteen tracks. You may and just hear me out here. Yeah. Maybe the British, the British version, moved Penororo T" to seven because that's the kind of a break right smack dab in the middle. Yeah, probably the, the sort of intermission, if you will, kind of bring the you bring the energy down a little bit, and you get them leaning forward, and then you bring it back up, and then it just grabs them,
0: and then you bet straight back in with "On a Plane."
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's full, that's, that's full a good band example. comes in next song. So maybe, maybe I don't know. Like, because you know, I'm in a band. We we craft set lists all the time, and yeah. you know, we think of that sort of thing. So I mean, you,
0: you got to bring them up, bring them down. You know,
1: well, a couple things. Um, you you want to keep people, um, you want to keep people happy. You want to keep give them opportunities to go to the bar and get drinks. <laughs> so if we if we have a song with lower BPM, that gives you minutes to catch your breath, go get a drink. And get and buy a round of shots for the next song that's coming on that you're gonna know that you're gonna love and you're gonna know. So, so the,
0: okay that that does that does make sense because I mean like like I was telling Dex last week, I've been you know I've been to a lot of your guys shows and now I can see the reason why you do one song and then the next song after it is more high energy. Yeah. Because it's usually um you guys usually do a crash into me and then um give it away yeah right back to back. You know,
1: so crash crash gives you that time because like, oh, this song's awesome. Oh, I'm gonna go get a drink because it's, it's it's nice a little, and slow and mellow. It's a little and- bit lower energy, you know, and it's but it's still you can still sing along to it and have a good time. But it gives you it gives you an opportunity to reload. And then you've gotta you got to give say. something
0: to my mama. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, uh, I think one of the um, the meat puppets section of yeah. the, of the gig that was. Um, Again, that was something that MTV fought against.
1: It was unnecessary. You think so? Absolutely. They were they were they were there by the the graciousness of Kurt Cobain. They were not needed. No, I I agree. I don't think they would need. They, it I time. know, and I'm, and I'm not saying that it was a waste or it was pointless, but they Kurt was throwing them a bone.
0: I think th- I think that. But I also think that was a thing where uh, Kurt was uh, flipping on, You know flipping off the, the MTV
1: people saying... Sticking it to the men. Yeah,
0: it's like, they're not here to see MTV, they're here to see Nirvana.
1: Oh, yeah, and and he, and Kurt was famous for doing stuff like this all the time. Um, he... They were playing some, some late night talk show or some TV appearance, and they wanted them to play, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, and they, it was like 1993 or something, and they were, they were like so sick of playing it, and they are like... Man, we've got, you know, we've got In Bloom, Lithium, you know, um, Heart Shaped Box that just come out. You know, they had a lot of other good singles, you know. And um, so, they came out and they started playing, um, what, what was it? Was it Lithium? Yeah, they, they anyway, they came out and they started, no, they came out and started playing Rape Me. <laughs> and they were supposed to be playing... Um, smells Like Teen Spirit. Smells Like Teen Spirit. So he came out and played like the first twenty seconds of "Rape Me," and then they launched into "Teen Spirit." So meanwhile, there's like people like rushing around the control room, like, <laughs> "Do we do we dump it? Do we have a commercial? What, what do we do? Dude, this is Kurt Cobain, man. We can't dump. There's like a lot of people. It if they dump, they dump the Gaffin. What had they asked? So, so or ratings or something bad, something bad. What happened. So they they hung they hung in there, and then they kicked it in the Teen Spirit. <gasps> <gasps> Did, yeah, Kurt was famous for that
0: They did Top of the Pops in the UK right? And Top of the Pops was famous for, for a couple of things um, One Up until about 2000, nobody played live It was lip synced
1: Sure. So imagine, right getting that, on a, that was standard for a long time though
0: Imagine getting on a plane from Seattle, Washington Flying all the way across America Then flying all the way across The Atlantic Ocean to London
1: to stand there and stand pantomime. there
0: and lip sync, and Cobain refused to do it.
1: This is yeah, this is a great story. I'm familiar. with this So,
0: the BBC <laughs> relented and said, "Okay, you can sing." But we we can't have the, the instruments.
1: are going to be, yeah.
0: So, he comes out there and, like, he drops his voice and he's like, No walk on good. And he's just, like, singing it. And the crowd are all in. T- and they're like, eh, eh, what's going on? <laughs> As they got the karaoke track going in the background.
1: And I heard they were, like, they were like intentionally. They were, like, playing at the wrong time. Yeah. And, like, the wrong way. And, like, they were, like, playing their guitars, like, incorrectly. Yeah, <laughs> like, I th-
0: they didn't switch places. I know bands actually who got ticked off of that switched places with each other. Yeah. Um, like one time, I think Blur went on there with um, the lead singer with Damon Albon, the drummer, and two cardboard cutouts. <laughs> 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 you know, um, but after, like after, after he was doing the right, he he did the first ever stage invasion on Top of the Pops. Okay. He like, pulled kids up on stage, uh, you know, okay. and everything like that. And the BBC were... Oh, they were Oh, mad. but they were... They were... I mean, they were, you know... And I think that's one of the things that Nirvana did. I mean, not just with MTV, but with a lot of things that a lot of other music musicians emulated.
1: They pushed the envelope, man.
0: And not just pushed the envelope, it was like, I don't care if you're the BBC. I'm Kurt Cobain. You're right. You know, you don't tell me what to do, I don't tell you what to that's do.
1: That's kind of... Yeah, that kind of that... Um, um, there's There's a... Th- thing about that would that i've read uh opposite oppositional defiant disorder yeah um there's a lot of famous celebrities who um psychologists and you know mind professionals and all that have said have the symptoms of of that um jim morrison being one yep. kirk Cobain being another um like uh gandhi like people like that you know
0: it's defiance is built into the into the dna
1: basically yeah i mean yeah jim jim morrison and kirk robain were birds of a feather in, in that sense and you know they they died um in the same age too the 27 club They're in that 20 that notorious 27 club I'll, yeah
0: i'll be honest though i'm not a big jim morrison fan
1: yeah, like, I, I, I I
0: can't get into the doors. I've cried. I, like, I like
1: the doors. I, I, I like them, but um, yeah, Jim Jim was a, uh, a four note crooner at best. But okay. he would. But he was a poet. You know. Yeah. He had good lyrics. And Rayman... Okay. If Rayman Zurich had not been in that band, forget about. It, no one would even know who they were.
0: They'd be singing Cheddar Cheese Girl. <laughs> <laughs> on crackers but uh, <laughs> tastes good with wine. But uh, I think one of the things too. I mean, we mentioned Dave Grohl. As the kind of he he Kurt was the style that night, obviously, but I mean, he couldn't they couldn't have done that show without uh, Dave Grohl,
1: not the versatility versatility that night. Yeah, he he was on on Jesus Don't Want Me for Sunbeam. Since um, Noah Selleck had to play accordion, Dave, Dave Stepped over to bass, but they actually brought it to him and he played bass, sang back up, and kept the rhythm on his bass drum and hi hat the entire time. Yeah. And he was doing three things at once, and didn't even flinch. I, okay, and, and let me just put this in perspective for you. I have been a professional musician for over twenty years. At a sound check recently, you were there, John. <laughs> Our drummer was not there, and we had to catch levels. So I got yes. on the drums because I have toured as a drummer before, so I can at least you know perform a sound check. So, I sit there and soundcheck all the drums, and then we had to do the live check to mix the levels. Yes. So, we were playing one of our easiest songs for me that's basically two notes during the verse, and it has just like a, poo, poo, yeah. like a pulse on the bass drum. So, I was trying to do like, just like one, two, three, four, and then do like catch the ands on the hi-hat. Yeah. Like, boops, 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 while playing my part, uh-uh. And so on top of that, Dave Grohl is like singing. Yeah. And singing perfectly, I might add. Oh, Yeah. Dude yeah, absolute beast, man. And he proves it every day with the foos and just his general awesomeness. And he's just a great guy.
0: I remember the I remember the, the, the night after that um just, just to write out that story for a, the night after that the uh, the venue sound engineer. After you guys played the, the the track, you know, full band, and everything like that, she came up to me and she said, "Oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like."
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. uh.
0: But um, no, and not only that, I mean, Pat Smear also, I mean, very very underrated guitarist. I know we've joked about his longevity and his age and everything like that, but I mean,
1: yeah, great great guitar player.
0: Him and Kurt had had really really good synergy. Yeah, I mean, they they like you you you. I don't know if you notice this much as a, as a bass player yourself, but, like, I've seen a lot of live bands with a rhythm and lead guitar player, and, you know, they're, they they play, you know, one will play chords, one will play, you know, whatever.
1: Voicings or leads or yeah, whatever. Yeah, and it's
0: just, you know, but, like, they'll also be slightly, you know, away from each other.
1: They're kind of doing their own thing instead of working, in you know, like, symbiotic nature, I guess.
0: Those two were working more together than I think uh, Petsmere and Novoselic were working together, which yeah. should have been the other way around. But like him and, and Kurt were like, every time you'd see one arm go down, yeah. both arms would go down. Yeah. You know, and they were completely on point. There was no no flubs. And unusually f- for an MTV Unplugged performance, it was one tick. They didn't yeah. do a reset to do, you know, to do Brown Eyed Girl one more time. with right. you know, They just, this is what we got.
1: Straight up recorded it, and well, yeah, well, the other thing about uh, Smear too. Uh, Pat Smear played for the Germs, which was a band that Kirk Cobain admired. So you know, maybe growing up, he learned a thing or two from him. You know, watching his stage presence or the way he played. You know,
0: yeah, it's just I don't know. They, they they seem to like they seem to very
1: very favor they seem to favor each other. They 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 meshed a lot better than the original second guitar player of Nirvana, which, which was uh, Jason Everman.
0: That name sounds familiar to me.
1: He was on he okay. He was credited for the Bleach album, but he didn't okay. actually play on it. He financed it, and the band put his name on there to kind of throw him a bone. Yeah, but he all, all, all three guitar tracks on the album were played by Kurt.
0: Okay, because I don't, like I said that's probably where I remember the name
1: from. Because it's on the album, but like I said, he 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 uh he was on their album. He did a European tour with them with Tad, and then they fired him the, and and did not replace him until the In Utero tour. Basically due to Kurt's ailing health and the the Rome overdose thing.
0: Yeah. And that was another thing, too. Kurt was going through severe withdrawal that night. He
1: was, he was in a weird mood. Like, okay. Um, and it's weird because, like, in the notes here, it says that um, he was in a funky mood and not his usual self and not, you know, joking around because he was going through withdrawal. But if you listen really carefully... Um, he actually does crack a couple of jokes, or maybe he's just so dry that people laughed, like he didn't mean it as a joke. Maybe he would, like he says, uh, what, uh, "What are we doing? Are we tuning a harp back there?" Yeah, I thought we were some rich rock band. We could afford like multiple guitars, and everybody's chuckling. But Th- I, maybe I don't. May, but now that I come to think about it, maybe uh, I I get in that mood sometimes, it, so it, I can understand that. I think
0: the bit that did it to me that made it seem like he was not—I don't want to say pissed off—but uh, the bit that he wasn't in a good mood was when you know they just done penny Ralty, everybody's sitting down, Dave Grohl gets in front of the mic goes, hey dude, that, that sounded great. Shut up. Yeah. But it wasn't the way he said it wasn't, you know, it, you know, I'm a little brother, I've had a lot of friends, banting back and forth, blah 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 blah. But there was just some there was just a little bit too much venom in his voice yeah. when he said the shut up. For for me to think he was you know he was doing it out of a you know banter jockey ha 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 but the crowd didn't notice the crowd thought it was banter part of the show it was like oh could be, you know but it was just like it was just a little too you know he
1: was well, he was out of his el- out of his element too. oh yeah so I mean for for anyone that knows about how like where Kurt came from and how he started as an artist he started off with an acoustic guitar with, like four strings five strings banging out chords and melodies and recording them on a track. Yep. You know, cassette, like many, many, many other people have, but his element was playing in rock bands. He had never been like a, um, you know, like a, he plays for a grunge band. He's not, he's not used to sitting in this big old lush area. that's all sprawled out. So, I mean, maybe for him, maybe it made him like anxious, nervous. Cause if you, if you go back and watch the video, He's got a he's got a mic stand or uh, excuse me a music stand in front of him yeah with cheat sheets for every and lyrics for every single song so why would he need all that stuff? Yeah, that's true. I mean... No, I think he was, I think it was a combination of and,
0: things. And, yeah, do. and, 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 and don't get me wrong, that's not a knock. I mean, you know, it, no. I, think, I think, again, that f- he, he, he used that anxiety, and he used that nervousness, and he used that everything, and he channeled it into his performance. I mean, we mentioned the Meat Puppet stuff earlier, right? Uh, one of the things that he wanted to do was, and especially with Lake of Fire, Lake of Fire is so not in his range.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. But
0: he, he, he. You know, he. As they say, they give the old college try, right? And he went in there, and it added character to the song.
1: It, it, it kind of, it was almost a, um, a foreshadow of like Kurt Cobain's pain. Yeah, like he, his, his music was all about like an outlet for his pain. Yeah, you know, and you could hear that in his voice. I thought a lot of times um especially on um like radio radio friendly unit shifter on in Utero. yeah and some of those other uh torrets, um territorial pissings ones like that you know i
0: think that uh that in i mean we, we discussed the in Euro album a couple of months ago but i mean you know we can say that it was it was kurt's attempt and, and the band's attempt to kind of shell their you know their good guy image their, their corporate image their whatever but i think you hit the nail on the head it was it was Kurt being trying to release everything yeah I mean he had two years of being a, an unwanted celebrity
1: just thrust into this role of stardom that he didn't want I mean all he ever wanted to do was to be able to play, play music and make money from it like yeah. he wanted to do what basically I do right now yeah and it just and it, it just took spiraled off. into this huge thing you know multi-million dollar contracts and record deals and you know hey Flo, we're gonna fly you out to we're going to fly out to New York for your record release party and Madonna's going to be there and, you know, Mike Tyson and blah, blah, blah. Like, what? I don't know these I don't, people. I don't want any of this stuff, man. It, for him, it was just too much. He he was he was too humble, I guess you could say. Maybe. I just think, I, I just, Kurt was a very quirky and selective person and yeah. he didn't like to be around a lot of people. Like, he had a little, he had a little tribe of friends that he liked that he hung out with.
0: Now, aside from the heroine, right? Was Kurt considered like straight edge? Hell no. I mean, you know, it's it's no. You know, not at all. I mean, he he does have he does have attitudes of 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 he does have similar attitudes to a lot of people who who do practice the straight edge lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, very selective of who I who I hang around with. Yeah, not anti authority, so to speak, but it's my way or the highway. You know, all, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And uh, I mean, I, obviously with with uh, the, with a crippling heroin addiction, and you know, and he
1: he was a drinker. He okay. uh, he smoked cigarettes since he was a teenager. I mean, yeah, he he had tons, tons, and tons of vices. But the the main thing that I loved about him, just as a person, is he didn't he didn't put up with with bullcrap. He didn't put up with no. um Nazism, no. um, anti-feminism, he, he, uh, uh, women women beaters, uh, racism of any kind, child abuse. It, it, he, he he would, and we've talked about this before. Like he would he would gladly walk up to the mic and just tell everyone. If, if you're a racist or or any of that, you just, have your just, money back. just go home. We'll, we'll give you your money back. Don't ever buy our records or come to our concerts. Yeah. Because I, just, I have so much respect for that still to this yeah, day. Yeah,
0: because you know, Nazis are evil. I'm sorry.
1: Because most people from marketing, there's this marketing word again, from yeah. a marketing standpoint, most people, hey, man, you don't want to say that. You're splitting your crowd. He did not care. No, because I don't he want, didn't
0: care. I don't want that crowd. I don't want the crowd of white supremacy i don't want the crowd of you know i'm better than you because of, and there was a great quote that a, that a british journalist that um your worth is determined by the country of your birth huh. you know and uh,
1: an imaginary line that yeah was and, and, he went, and he wasn't saying plot. that
0: as a compliment he was say, he was using it as a critique is saying these politicians only think that they have their worth because of their country of their birth right okay. you know and um you know that's that's an attitude I, I, I like too. You know I I I can't stand Nazism.
1: Right. You know and he was just very he was very principled. Like he even if there was money or fame or like any other like temptations involved, he never strayed away from his principles. He never ever sold out, quote unquote. I think he literally put a gun in his mouth because he felt like he had sold out. That's that, that's and how was, deeply committed that guy was to that.
0: And and I was about to ask that. Do you think? I mean. Some 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 bands sell out, right? And you know a, 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 that 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 phrase is used a lot.
1: And it's a little passé, I, I suppose, but I think we all kind of understand the gist of it. Yeah,
0: and and it's thrown about to people who don't necessarily do that. You know, it's um okay. I, I mentioned this before. You know, um, there's there's a uh, one of my favorite books is uh, the autobiography of a pro wrestler called Mick Foley. Yeah. And after he jumped from a small league to a big league, he was getting chance that "You sold out." And he said, well, you know, why do I get that? Here are my principles. I like wrestling. I like wrestling in front of a lot of people and I like making money to wrestle. Well, right now I'm doing the best that I've ever done in front of more people than I've ever done it before. And I've made more money than I ever have doing this. So how did I sell out?
1: Yeah. You know? No, yeah.
0: But sometimes, you know, what is it? Uh, some people come to us for fame. Some people have fa- fame thrust upon them. Right. And I don't think necessarily that Nirvana sold out, but they were kind of taken along the wave. Yeah. You know, if, they, that, if that makes sense. They, they caught call, they a wave that they didn't intend on catching.
1: Well, they were, they were already doing their thing. And see, the thing about that, like, the Nevermind wasn't a product of Geffen. Nevermind was a product of Nevermind of uh, of Nirvana. Yeah. They had that album written way before they pitched it to Geffen or any of these other companies. They had had that sound. It's just right place, right time, and honestly how steadfast and no nonsense uh Kurt was, that's what impressed Geffen. Because I- he had his very specific vision and knew exactly what he wanted. They they liked that. You know? Do you think Geffen saw Nirvana?
0: As a um we've got a new album coming out from Big Band, right? I, I, I honestly can't remember who the big bands were in nineteen ninety one in the United Guns
1: States. Guns N' Roses, Metallica, right? Let's, instance, yeah. let
0: let's okay. Metallica have got an album coming out in nineteen ninety two.
1: So just, that'd be the black album. Yeah. Just, or what or somewhere around there. Or yeah. Justice for All or something.
0: So Gaffin sees this 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 group of Seattle ruffians. Right. And they think Metallica's got an album coming up next year. Maybe if we put these guys in the studio, we could get a couple hundred units out of them before we go back to, you know, just give us something to do. We, we get a couple hundred thousand units Little out of them. Little side project. Guys. Yeah. And then the minute the radio started hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit,
1: it started blowing up. It yeah. blew up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because this is the thing, I know I, know I always come back to, to what I know in, in terms of, you know, my music growing up, that was Creation Records attitude when it came to Oasis, and that was uh, Food Records re in Blur. It was, okay, we can get a couple hundred grand, couple hundred records, couple hundred thousand records out of you guys before the Stone Roses come back, or before yeah. Paul Weller releases a new album. Right. And then they blew up. And so, you know, it just with Kurt's attitude with the bands i don't want to say limited appeal but it was, it was very very it,
1: regionalized it, it was a very fresh approach though and it, it it was it was sort of a um it was a response to sort of the overproduced um overwritten yeah. over engineered songs that plagued the back half of the 80s oh yeah like um you know the scorpions rat motley crew no, nothing against. If we got fans of that music, there's some good stuff on that. But just as far as like the production value of it, I mean, Kurt was listening to stuff like Flipper and early Led Zepp and stuff like that. Had more of like a like a warm Neve console kind of like, and some you know raw and you know he, he there were some crazy albums that he liked that had very low production value.
0: And I think I made a comparison a couple of months ago with independent movies, right? Um, a lot of those independent movies traditionally are stories, story wise, a lot stronger than mainstream movies. Right? Because you see Will Smith, you don't see Bobby Joe. Right? right. Yeah. You know, he he come out and say, "Hi, my name is Bobby Joe." But you look and you go, "That's Will Smith." Right. Whereas on independent movies, if if the dude came out and said, "Hey, I'm Rick,"
1: okay, that's Rick. What's up, Rick? Yeah, yeah. And, You didn't embody it. And I think, and some of them it stays forever, like Stifler.
0: Exactly. Then you've got, like you mentioned, Cookabane's records were full of those albums that were underproduced, or you know, I don't raw, say no, punk, raw
1: yeah, punk rock-ish sounding. Yeah. So
0: you got the full force of the
1: song rather than the production, right? Um, I mean, because. You, you relied on soul and and execution versus an production artistry. value, yeah.
0: And the thing is, you know, a lot of people will say, "Well, you know, production values were killed off by Shea when she did that first auto-tuned abomination." Believe uh, you know all that stuff, right? I think the day overproduction was exposed to the world was done so subtly. I don't think anybody even realized it. It was the right. day. The Def Leppard released their first album after their drummer's accident.
1: Oh, with the um, with the one-arm drummer, the, the sequenced uh, drums and stuff. Yeah,
0: the fact they all they all they they produced that so well that you couldn't tell that the, the drummer had a disability. Yeah, you know, and as a drummer, you need all four limbs.
1: Well, that uh, that independently, led, that led to the creation of uh, inner monitoring. Yeah, because they had to. Because what happened was their drummer would see what he happened with. He, he couldn't do this you know? he had a sequencer that he would step on and would count off and then he would start playing as he would but he only had his right arm so it kind of but he had he had there was programming and stuff that went in place to yeah. take care... yeah so but that that whole thing really pissed off kurt he didn't like you know three guitars playing a solo at the same time yeah in triads like he just, he thought music should be, it should be from the heart and be soulful. Like, just because a song is complicated doesn't mean it's good. You yeah. know, like, uh, um, uh, one of their best songs that they do is on Insecticide. It's called uh, Molly's Lips. It's Vaseline's cover. Okay. It's a beautiful song and it's the two chords. Yeah. It's G and C over and over again.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean
1: it doesn't have to be complicated to be a good song and i think that's that uh, and that's what opened the door for so many other bands
0: uh, and i mean the, the most popular music in the history of music has always been three cold rock with all due respect to you know
1: probably um, oh, yeah, like the misfits and yeah and the, like AC-DC. Early, yeah and early blues and stuff like you know yeah a lot of it was you know one four five you know and just
0: a e and b yeah that's all you needed you know, and 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 if if you're really really adventurous, you might whip out a D every now and then.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know. As long as she doesn't get mad. That's right. That's what. She-
0: so there's one more thing, I guess, that this show is absolutely famous for, and it's the light belly cover. And that right there, I mean, that could take its own episode, right? The, the implications, the analysis, and everything like that. But I think that that was done. To close out the show, they out of every song that they could have done from their back catalog, I think n- nothing they could have done would have topped this as 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 an ender, as, as the end of the show.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was pretty epic. I mean, it, yeah, it was just a good nod to musicians that he liked and and musicians that he grew up listening to, um, and it just really captured that whole premise of putting putting your soul into your performance
0: and it was a pain performance
1: yeah you could hear the pain in his voice and um yeah especially in uh where did you sleep that that last little uh, that that whole thing yeah you hear you hear a lot of a lot a lot of pain in it but uh it's just it was to me it was a very satisfying album though Um, it touches on the entire catalog you know in one way or another so
0: I think this is the only, there are only two songs that I've heard a part of um, the vocalist's real life energy into it. And what I mean by that is, look, everybody puts their own energy into a song, right? Whether they write it, whether they don't write it. And, you know, it comes up to what it is. And some people take a metal route and it, it sounds perfect and everything like that. there are only two songs where you can hear the singer's true, full on raw emotion coming out of it. One of them is in a studio, that was compl- a song that was completely overproduced, and the other one was "Where Did You Sleep Last Night." Right. Uh, for the record, the other one was uh, "The Show Must Go On" by Queen. Um, yeah. Freddie Mercury was practically on his deathbed when they recorded
1: that song. Yeah, he could barely, barely uh, sit there to do the take.
0: He he the, he took a shot of vodka, went in the studio and did that whole again one take. Um, but it was it was the whole. Um, I'm never giving in. I'll face it with a grin on with the show. And then the implications of well he died like a week after that was released. Right. You that know. That was his
1: last stand basically.
0: And Cooker being sigh as if to say it's over. Yeah. It's done. And I think with his suicide again that 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 moment took on I don't want to say extra significance, but it definitely became more analyzed.
1: Yeah, this is, it was a, it was a foreshadowing point definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it might just have been like I said earlier, it might just have been a point where he was going Thank God these MTV executives are not going to get my ass anymore.
1: You know, or it's just the end of the end of this. You know, I just want to get out of set. here and go back to the, you know,
0: yeah. But at the same time, like I said, you know, it, I think that moment, that one three second portion of the show was like the cherry on top. You know, um, ten out of ten, easily.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it it was pop up in a lot of ways, but still turned out brilliantly. It, it just—I can't find fault in it. I mean, the, yeah, the,
0: the list, the track listing is fantastic. The special guests, while might not needed to have been there, they, you know, as I I mean, you and I are both sports fans. Like when you take a second string guy, you put him in with a team, and it's seamless. Yeah, you know, I mean. They no, play- they, were,
1: they were great. It's just yeah. like they had like three guitar players playing bar chords for like yeah. two songs. i like, uh, uh, okay. It, it, but it's a nod to your buddies and you've been torn with them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, no, I understand that. And I like Lick of Fire. I think Lick of Fire is a great song. Um, Where Did You Sleep Last Night was a great way to end it. That was another argument with MTV, by the way. Uh, MTV wanted them to do an encore. And Kurt was like, you really think I can top that? Uh. <laughs> you really think we can top that? Right. One thing we didn't talk about was the uh, aesthetic of the show, and very was, gothic
1: kind of like funeral parlor. Funeral, yeah, yeah, uh, like he, a wake or something. Yes, asked yeah. for like
0: these lilies and these black candles. There's like suede
1: said. drapes, like dro- like stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, you mean like a funeral, Mister Cabane? That's exactly what I want. I want a funeral.
1: There's more of that foreshadowing.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and that's that's I think you know. <laughs> The one thing I did read, right, and, and this is going to come into to to, to, to the point, um, is that they were Nirvana were planning on releasing a uh, live album at the same time. They were going to release a dual album. This is what I read today. They're going to re- release a dual album of a show that they did in blah blah blah. I can't remember where that was, and then the B side would have been uh, unplugged in New York. Oh, okay. So you know, a lot of people were thinking. After Cobain's uh, death, it was all oh, look, see MTV and and they're getting cash grab on and everything like that. But they actually did agree before the show that they were going to release this as a live. album.
1: Oh, well, they multi track recorded it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, of course, of course they were. Why they wouldn't have been not? Trust me, no one is going to multi track record a live performance. And not do anything with it. Yeah, and I mean, especially not from arguably the biggest band in the world at the time. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I think yeah, that that, you know, that
1: was getting used.
0: The only problem is, is that after Nirvana unplugged, after Nirvana's unplugged performance, every other band who did an unplugged show, everybody was expecting the CD release of it. You know, and not all of them. Were did worth you think it. you
1: Kurt Cobain? Yeah. She-
0: I mean, Eric Clapton. Right. I understand why he deserved his own unplugged show. Again, sure. it was the gold. It was the gold standard. Yeah, Nirvana became the gold standard, and I think every unplugged
1: performance after that. It was, uh, Nirvana's performance was coveted. Too, yeah, though. that's nothing.
0: It was influential too because yeah. every performance after that,
1: the bands decided to that was the benchmark, if you will. Yeah,
0: yeah, tweak their sound. You know, I mean, okay. Again, cows on the table. I'm gonna waste this. Fine, I've said. I mean, I've said time and time again. They. uh they did an unplugged show in 96 and which was infamous for two reasons. One, Liam Gallagher pulled out literally as they were walking on stage and two, they had an electric bass player, <laughs> you know, yeah. so they, they they didn't kind of do that. But instead of, you know, just going with acoustic guitars or playing it slow or anything like that, they wanted to keep that loud sound. So how did they do it? They brought in a, an orchestra and a brass section. Nobody had done that That's at awesome. that point, you know.
1: That's
0: but, and then you had bon jovi he brought in like a choir to do his thing back in 2007 and he did to be fair bon jovi did a real good version of hallelujah Hand, hands up i'll say he 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 did okay with it
1: bruce springsteen uh chickened out last second really yeah they mm-hmm. it turned it up to be a full live band performance ah um, yeah they, they yeah the boss man he chickened out last second
0: the unplugged. Okay, the unplugged name became after this album. Definitely became a like a high point in a lot of bands' careers. You know, a lot of, a lot of bands did unplugged after this, but there were some who shouldn't have done unplugged. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the one of the ones that sends it for me is the Course. an Irish folk band, doing an unplugged performance. <laughs> I mean, the Cranberries did one a couple of years before this, too, and I mean, yeah. with the exception of Zombie, the Cranberries were all twiddly-deedly themselves,
1: you yeah, know? Yeah, they weren't too ballsy. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know, but, I mean, this- Some like- of it was a, f- a forced cash grab, and I think that Nirvana's initially was, but with with uh, Kurt's, Kurt's genius and um, the song selection and the um, the the people used, uh, it just turned into a masterpiece. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, abs- absolute masterpiece. I agree, 10 out of 10. 10
0: out of 10. And like I said, if you want to listen to it, go ahead and listen to it there. It's on YouTube. I think it's on the official MTV YouTube, yeah, I could be what, wrong.
1: All the videos are on there. Watch the videos. Yeah. Watch. The, the, the record's great, don't get me wrong. But if you can watch the videos, watch the videos.
0: Yeah, because the body language, I think, sets everything off even just,
1: more. Just, yeah, just just the... Yeah, just the, everything. The ambience, the... the uh, Ambiance, ambience, whatever you want to call it, just it the feel- whole thing. Yeah,
0: it feels more haunting than listening to the record.
1: Yeah, it's it sounds it it totally changes the mood. Like if you're listening to it and then you see it, yeah the the um the visual effect paints a completely different picture. Definitely, yeah, definitely worth watching.
0: All right, so we will be back here in a few more minutes. We got a few more things to talk about, but like I said, if you haven't listened to MTV Unplugged, listen to it. We will be back momentarily. Guys, we've got a few more minutes to go before we uh, head on out. Um, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, hope you all survived Black, Black Friday, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show. And if you were on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, look at Because Maybe Pod, look up our blog, because maybepodcast.wordpress.com And if you are on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, search Because Maybe Podcast and you will find us. And if you have any inquiries, you have any questions for me, go ahead, shoot me an email, because maybe podcast at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter, I'll do my best to answer you as quickly as possible. So that's everything that I've got going on. You guys got anything uh, going on the next couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, uh, this Saturday we're going to be at um, the Tiki Bar um, here in town. we got some other stuff coming up in Shreveport. We're going to be in the road a lot. Um, But most notably, January 4th, we're doing uh, a part of this uh, party Gras ball. It's basically a 90s-style Mardi Gras party. Nice. Um, It's going to be at Horseshoe Casino uh, in Bossier City. Uh, tickets are anywhere between 25 to to $1,000, um, but it depends on, um, there's table reservations and yeah. VIP and like bottle service and like food and stuff that goes with it. So, But uh, yeah, general admission is 25 bucks, which is not too bad because you get us and you get to see the Chiwi, who are a fantastic variety band from up north. Sweet. Uh, I've seen them a couple times. Uh, I think they're going to be doing... Um, all nineties, the whole night though, because it's going to be nineties theme. That should be fun. So Sweet. forward to that. And you guys are going to Key West, right? As well. Yeah. A couple of weeks later, we're going to be Key West for nine days.
0: Are you? Uh, I mentioned this with Dexter last week. Uh, I've seen True Lies too many times. Are You guys going to be okay on the bridge?
1: Yeah. Be fine. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be taking it easy in our little van. Nice. Nice. Well, Greg, man, it's awesome to have you
0: on again. We got an open invitation, and you will be back here in a couple of weeks because we've got a couple of Christmas movies to talk about at the same time. Die Hard. The, well that was the 80s uh,
1: uh, it was still a Christmas
0: movie it was a movie that took place at Christmas
1: <laughs>
0: we could argue all day about that uh, but, uh, yeah. but we're actually going to be talking about the, uh, the movie in which um, uh, Selma Hayek was not responsible for creating some piece of shit sold his soul to the devil to get that piece of up the charts uh, we're talking Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2 and you got
1: Ben coming in right
0: yeah and I got Ben Tynan coming in next week talking to Selma Hayek nice. we are going to be talking about Kevin
1: Smith's m- Magnum Opus tell him I said these wings hop Shreveport these wings hop Shreveport he will understand what it means <laughs> these wings hop Shreveport
0: uh, you know I, I, I'm I going to end it on this one now that you said that um, there was a TV show in the UK and I can't remember what it was called but you had a panel, right? three-person panel and a contestant. And you'd ask the contestant a question and he could sell half of the answer. He could sell part of the answer to anyone on the panel, right? But also in the panel... They had, like, eight or nine different phone callers. Now, these guys weren't identified as Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones, Miss whatever, right? It was, you know, you have a banker, you have a postman, you have a taxi driver, you have a baker, right? So, basically, what it is is I'd ask you a general knowledge question. If I knew the answer, if you knew the answer, you'd give me the answer, and you'd get, say, £100. If you didn't know the answer, you could ask one of the panelists, and they could sell you the answer for £50. So you get 50, they get 50, right? So, on the screen, you've got the baker, the librarian, the police officer, the teacher, the rapist, the dog groomer, the veteran. And I'm looking at this and wait, what? The font that they used made the E and the R look like they were spaced out just a little too far. So therapist. The therapist, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sitting there like...
1: What? <laughs> so- <laughs> oh, no.
0: So on that note, guys, uh, I will see you guys next week. Greg, will see you guys in a couple of weeks. Right. And I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful time. We're coming into the Christmas time of the year. gobble, Gobble, gobble. gobble. gobble, gobble enjoy your turkey. I hope you enjoy your leftover turkey. And we will see you next week.